Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Welcome to My Friends in the North, a 20-minute podcast series from me, astute.work owner Sarah Waddington, in which I interview some of the region's leading business figures. Well, as businesses rush to mitigate the impact of COVID-19, I decided to open up the podcast to a kind of takeover to understand more about the newly launched Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group. It's got a five-point plan to support the economy, build business resilience and get the region ready for recovery with a longer term goal of returning the region to pre-coronavirus levels of GDP and employment. Well, you've already heard from Helen Golightly, who's Chief Executive of the Northeast Local Enterprise Partnership and Let Business Growth Director Colin Bell. Today, I'm speaking to Michelle Rainbow, who's Skills Director of the Northeast LEP, which is a client of Astute.Work. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Nice to, nice to join you. Thanks for coming on. Let's just open the conversation with a quick refresher. Michelle, what's the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group for and who does it comprise of? It's a group of individuals who represent their organisations who have uh, the capacity to be able to respond to some of the challenges that arise from this um, epidemic and can speak to government and can speak to our networks to try to mitigate the impact that it that it potentially might have. So it comprises of uh, the LEP, the LEP uh, senior team, and also colleagues uh, from the CBI and also from our two combined authorities, the North Tyne Combined Authority and the North East Combined Authority. Fantastic. And if I understand rightly, your role in the group is to look at interventions that will keep people in employment, which um, at the moment is no mean feat. How are you approaching this? Okay, so this is something that will develop as as the situation develops. But our immediate priorities are to ensure that we're working with people to ensure that they can stay in employment and that both employers and employees are able to find the information they need to be able to do this. We also need to make sure that we're rapidly signposting those who need additional financial support to the correct information. And then in the sort of slightly longer term, we need to coordinate a northeast response to the more medium and longer term impact on jobs. We need to try to capitalise opportunities for redeployment. We need to think about where there might be some new emerging roles. And also we need to support those people who find themselves out of work. Really comprehensive. Uh, A lot of work to do in in the very near future too. Um, You just mentioned about signposting. Um, Are you still signposting people to the Northeast Growth Hub? Absolutely. We think that it's a really good resource that both employers and employees will find useful. It's kept up to date really regularly. As you know, this is a rapidly developing situation. There is lots of information coming out from government in various different forms. And the the Growth Hub helps to coalesce that into one place and, and tries to make sense of some of the information coming out. There are frequently asked question pages. And there is an opportunity to speak to colleagues if there is anything in specifically businesses need to know about their own business and and how to navigate the way through the system. 
Right. And if people want to know, that's www.northeastgrowhub.co.uk and I will post a link in the show notes as ever. How bad is the issue of unemployment in the northeast at the moment? Has it spiked? Are you expecting numbers to increase or is it just too early to get a proper reading on the situation? Um, I think, to be honest, it's probably too early. We do know that there are um, organisations who have made um, their employees redundant and we sort of are keeping a, a, a log. We know we know who they are, but I, I don't know that we'll actually know the sort of true impact of this until we kind of come out of certainly the other side of the, of, of the lockdown. Even then, that might not be re- reflected um, straight away in unemployment figures as people take redundancy or try to find routes into other types of work. So I think it's going to be a while before we see sort of hard and fast data. Obviously, we are keeping an eye on not just data, but also intelligence. We're hearing what people are saying to us, keeping an eye on sort of social media. We're doing some social listening to try and give us an idea of what what this is going to look like. But in terms of unemployment figures, I think it's probably too early to focus at the moment. I think we we could probably expect some trends. We know that in the previous recession, it was often young people who were the most uh, likely to be impacted. And we know that those people who who are in low paid or less secure employment are, are usually the first sort of tranche of people to be made unemployed. So I can, we can kind of predict some trends. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things we just have to have to wait and see. We are planning what the steps are and how we'll mitigate some of this but until we know the sort of outcomes you know we just have to wait and see. Okay thanks Michelle. On that in terms of mitigation the government has launched a number of measures to support the business community and I think that includes the coronavirus job retention scheme which is allowing companies to furlough workers for up to three months. Are regional business owners taking that offer up and and what else are they doing? Yeah, they are. And I think that um, they came at a a very timely moment. We know a number of regional businesses were facing the decision that maybe they were going to have to make their their staff or their teams redundant. So the the opportunity to furlough workers and um, have up to 80% of their salary paid was a sort of a bit of a lifeline for a lot of companies. So yes, there are a lot of companies who've who've taken on that, um, decided to make that decision. Other things that are happening, where companies are still able to have their staff work from home, um, they are working from home. There are, you know, a huge number of, of people who are now home working. And the other thing that we're seeing a pattern of is people being put on um, short, shorter hours so that the um, if there isn't a full-time role because of home working, at least they can do some paid work. So we're seeing a mixture of responses. But I do think that the opportunity to furlough was a good move. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, You mentioned this just before. Uh, I know that one of your focuses is on redeploying staff whose skills can perhaps be put to good use elsewhere. Tell us a bit more about that. So when I look at the the types of business, so, you know, you only have to see the news to see that retail, tourism, those types of industries are being really hit hard and quite quite quickly. Um, And there are a number of organisations and businesses closing. So I look at the skill sets for the people who are likely to work in those. And the thing that strikes me is that they generally are people people. 
and you know that's a huge skill set that that's something that other sectors and other organizations will be able to sort of utilize the data shows us that in the northeast in particular there has been a historic difficulty to fill certain vacancies particularly in the health and social care sector they are also people people so uh, you know, it, it's not it's not a big stretch or a big leap to assume that with some training, some accreditation, uh, and making sure background checks are done, that there is an opportunity for people to be redeployed into sectors where there is a big need or an up to, a need to um, take on new staff like health and social care. So I think I think what will happen is that certainly in the short to medium term, we will probably need to look quite carefully at you know, our traditional methods of how we recruited people, the um, types of things we looked for, you know, is it really necessary that we've had previous experience in doing that? Or can we demonstrate that we have, you know, those transferable skills that, that we all have when we, when we, when we take on um, any sort of job um, and, and, and be, they can be applied in, in something else. And I think that's, that's something that businesses will, will quickly get their head around and we'll start to see different methods of recruitment. So very disruptive, but very smart thinking there in terms of redeploying skills as fast as yeah. possible. We kind of touched upon the growth hub, but there's going to be lots of anxious employers and employees in the region wondering what the future looks like. What do you think it looks like <clears throat> and where can they go for help and advice right now? I understand that people are anxious. There's all sorts of anxiety, you know, even the people who have sort of relatively secure jobs will be anxious about what the sort of new world looks like, if you like. And I think that going to the Growth Hub, looking at the types of information that, that is available there, I think the .gov website is quite good. There seems to be uh, a wealth of information on social media sites like LinkedIn, who where there are pro bono offers or you see uh, webcasts from uh, professional organizations like uh, firms of lawyers or firm solicitors actually providing pro bono support around I don't know like the approach to uh, furlough um, thinking about your employment rights the TUC has a lot of information on that on their website about your rights in terms of making sure that you have the correct PPE if you are at work so there are a number of ways in which you can, number of things that you can read and, and go to. But I, I think that if you start off at the Growth Hub, you can't go far wrong for that for sort of signposting. Fantastic. One of the best things about the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group, it's that it's coordinating one strategic response to ensure those who need help get it um, and also quickly and efficiently, which is crucial right now. Which other partners are you working with to achieve this? So we mentioned earlier that um, there are a number of strands to the, the, the working group and um, I'm leading on the strand that, that is looking at people and employment and fortunately we have already have a group of people who are actually in this world. So our skills advisory panel, used to be called the Employment and Skills Board, is actually there already. They're a ready-made group and they consist of government uh, and government departments, so BASE, the ESFA Department for Education. We have some business organisations on there, like the CBI and the Northeast Chamber of Commerce. We have business representative organisations representing the various sectors. And then we have education representing schools, the FE sector, and the HE sector, as well as our private providers. 
We also have the voluntary and community sector and the TUC represented. So we already have a ready-made group. and one we hell have of a met. network. <laughs> it is. Um, we met last week. We have shared everything that each of our organisations is doing. We have a comprehensive list. We have areas where we think that there's a challenge and where we need to sort of think about a response. We have an area where we can share information and networks. So it's already happening. And, you know, it, it, it's fortuitous that that was there, but I think it, it's actually going to sort of come into its own as we go through this crisis. Yeah, sounds like it. How are you measuring the group's work in this area then? What, what does success look like for you? We want to try and, if we can, uh, minimise the impact. So mitigate, you know, job loss where we can. We need to make sure that signposting is effective and rapid. And then when we have a clearer picture as we start to emerge from the other side of this, that we have a collaborative voice, uh, a collective voice, and that we collaborate when we start to talk to government and other agencies about how we need to pull together to make sure the right support reaches our communities and um, the people that, you know, uh, in our workforce. So in terms of how we're measuring it, you know, we can measure it through the data that will come eventually. But I think we will, through this app, do an awful lot of intelligence gathering. So for example, had a good conversation with Beth Farrett, who is our representative from the TUC, and she was very keen that we shared information about making sure people are aware about if they are keeping employees on, what PPE requirements there are, what health and safety we should be put in place, so that, you know, those people who are able to keep working are protected at the same time. And that became sort of high up the list when we started to talk and disseminate information. You know, the CBI have been instrumental in working with government to voice the challenges of businesses and their and, and therefore their employees. You know, they, they were at the table when the conversation around furlough started. They've also been at the table when we started to talk about how we support people who are self-employed. So we, we, we do have those sort of that, that network within there. And, and, you know, as we see things come out of government, we'll be able to measure the impact and report back to government if things are working or not working. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to ask you quite a big question now. <laughs> um, your day-to-day job with the, is a big one as skills director at the North East Lab. So how is all of this, I mean, you've already set out quite a significant amount of work there. How is this impacting your work and the programme of activity that's already in place? Okay, so I'm fortunate that I have an amazing team who have adapted to working from home really, really well and really quickly. I am the probably the least techie person of my team. <laughs> so it's taken me about a week longer to figure out how to do the sort of... Um, uh, you know how to work in teams and how to to, to and do the teleconferencing, Michelle. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> but but they are amazing. So they have continued. So last week uh, we had two webinars. One was with about thirty careers leaders from secondary schools, supporting them to support their students. The second one was continuing some work we're doing with primary schools, again, with probably around between 40 and 50 uh, senior leaders from primary schools, just trying to keep some of the work that we've started ongoing until we come out the other side and we get to some sort of normality. So the teams are working, 
you know, we are still carrying on with the day job. We know that, you know, this is, this is a huge crisis and it's a, you know, it will have some huge impacts. But actually, some of the stuff we're doing will help to mitigate that. So making sure that young people are prepared for the world of work, understand what transferable skills are, will we'll help them, you know, as, as we go through this process, as they come out into the world of employment. You know, having, having kids who, who, who get it, who understand how to explain you know, what their skill sets are in this sort of new world. And, you know, I have no doubt that there'll be an awful lot of changes that come out of this. But actually, young people are really well set up for this. If we start to see uh, working patterns change, so less people traveling into offices and more people using tech and things like that, you know, our kids have taken this to this like a duck to water. They do this all the time anyway when they're talking to their friends. Absolutely. So I do think there is some some merit and some value in keeping going with what we're doing because actually you know as I said young people are going to be adversely impacted on this they do have some skill sets that actually make them really employable yeah business as usual as far as possible and it sounds like it's really helping building the the framework for the future let's end on a smile tell us one thing that gives you confidence that when the time comes the northeast will be ready to bounce back well, we will bounce back. We always do. That's what the Northeast is good at. Every time you kind of, you know, we hear the, uh, we, we, we go through a sort of either recession or something else happens, we do bounce back. And I think that it's because of the Northeast sense of pride and community. I think we're already seeing that. You see it on social media, you see it in the news. You know, we do have a sense of humour and we are seeing sort of huge acts of kindness you know, across across the region, in communities, uh, so, you know. So I think we have to, we, we we need to take pride in actually. We as a region are, are really good at coping. You know, when adversity strikes, we, we are we are prepared for this. We've done it before, and we'll bounce back. Thank you, Michelle. It's always lovely talking to you, and I know lots of people will be reassured to hear about all the great work that's going on in the region right now. For the listeners, Michelle is on Twitter. If you'd like to keep up to date with her news. And you can find her by searching for Michelle Rainbow, but make sure you swap the last W for the number four. And for more information on what we've talked about generally today, please visit the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group page on the Northeast LEP website. You can find that at www.nelep.co.uk. You can also find out more useful information via the Northeast Growth Hub website which is www.northeastgrowthhub.co.uk. And as before, I'll add all these details to the show notes. But until next time, thank you, keep well and stay home. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. underscore Wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work. See you next time.